0: Please turn in your Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 4. And this is the last sermon in this series as we've been going through uh, Paul's letter to Philippians. And uh, next week, I'll preach a Christmas message, and then the week after, a message for New Year's. And then on January 7th, um, I'm going to start. Preaching through the book of Ephesians, and we'll round out uh, Paul's uh, prison epistles, and then after that we'll see where we go from there. Um, But for this morning, we're in Ephesians uh, 4, and we'll be looking at verses 15 to 23. But um, I'm going to read from verse uh, 10 down to the end of the letter for sake of context. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived thinking about me. Indeed, you were thinking about me before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I learn to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in abundance. In any and all things, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to fellowship with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church fellowshiped with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the fruit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have in abundance. I have been filled, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will fulfill all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage at the end of this letter, we consider what Paul was um, trying to convey to the Philippians as he rounds out this thank you note to them. Help us to understand the context, uh, everything that we have learned um, in the previous messages, and, and also to uh, glean wisdom, to understand the implications, the applications, to uh, see how these words apply to us, even though they are written uh, roughly 2,000 years ago. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your guidance. and. Lord, as I preach your word, I pray that you would guide me, guide my heart, my mind, and my tongue, that I would speak your words to your people for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> There's a hesitancy on the part of many pastors and preachers to preach on certain subjects, um, subjects such as sexual immorality or calling out false teachers, the roles of men and women according to what the Bible says, uh, or such uh, spiritual disciplines such as uh, evangelism or prayer or uh, giving. And there's many reasons for that. There's many reasons for hesitancy on preachers to put preach on certain things they should preach on. Um, for some, it's a cultural pushback and persecution that might come as a result of their preaching but for others it may be the particular issues within their church and then yet for other faithful biblical preachers it may be the fact that they're not exactly sure how to word their teaching in such a way so as to not be misunderstood and this is the thing it's interesting is you there's many subjects many topics many passages that you could, preach on, and and you could think about certain people, and you could think, well, you know, you really need to listen to this, or um, you need to kind of shut your ears on this because you'll take it the wrong way, or, um, but nonetheless, Paul is um, preaching, uh, or, in a sense, a writing. Uh, he, he is, as many of his letters are dictated, this one we, we believe was dictated as well um, and written, and um, he is uh, speaking in such a way to the Philippians as to um, not be mis- misunderstood. He explains in this section why he writes this letter to thank them for their support, but he also gives his perspective on being supported ...and their faithful giving. And in doing so, he is, in a sense, also providing some final instructions on giving. What true fellowship is and the faithfulness of God to provide for him and for them as well. And he does so in such a way as to both commend and encourage them in their giving... ...and also explain that he is not dependent upon them and is content in whatever God provides... And his goal is that they would have this same balanced perspective of faithful stewardship and sacrificial giving and supportive gospel ministry on one hand, and yet having confidence and contentment in God on the other. It's as, you know, many uh, preachers have used this analogy in speaking about this last section. It's as if. You know, we're, we're familiar with missionary support letters, and, and, and missionaries do need support. And it's almost as if you would receive a, a missionary support letter, and they're thanking you for their your support uh, for all meeting all their needs. But then they go ahead and say, but we didn't really need it. You know, God supplies all our needs, you know. So we're thankful for your support, but we're also just want to say, you know, we don't really need it. You know, God will supply all my needs. And so there's this balance here that that Paul is commending the Philippians. He's encouraging them. He wants them to excel still more, but he really wants them to understand the principles behind giving so that they will give faithfully and, and also not only that, but that God provides for Paul's needs, all of Paul's needs, and he's content in that and he believes in that. He rests in that, but in that they should rest in that as well. And here in this final section of Paul's letter, as he is thanking the Philippians for their partnership and support of him, he also wants to remind them of five things concerning their involvement in gospel ministry as they support him and support others in in Christian living and in the mission of of the church and the purpose of the church and this first reminder that he gives them as he's commending them as he's encouraging them the first reminder is he wants to remind them of their partnership as he says in verse 15 and you yourselves also know Philippians that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia no church fellowshipped with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. And he says fellowshiped here, and um, some translations might say partner, um, and there's a sense that we, we know, uh, many of us know that the underlying word, um, the Greek word behind fellowship is koinonia. Um, some have uh, said that, uh, use that term in, in many aspects of church life. Uh, and some have written books about it, and uh, we talk about fellowship, uh, gathering together. Usually we use that term fellowship at, uh, about our gatherings, uh, about encouraging one another, uh, potlucks, sharing a meal together, and, and that is true. That is true fellowship, but there's a deeper meaning. and I've explained that um, throughout this series as uh, fellowship is one of the main themes of Philippians, but Uh, It has a deeper meaning than just gathering together and uh, enjoying one another's company and encouraging one another. It has a deeper meaning of partnership, of partnering with one another in a common goal primarily in the advance of the gospel or ministry, um, the things uh, that the church is called to do. And so Paul wants to remind them of their partnership, of their faithful partnership in, in fellowshipping with him in the advancement of the gospel and supporting him as a missionary and a church planter. And their partnership is evidenced by two things. First, by the impact of the gospel. As he says here in verse 15, uh, that at the first preaching of the gospel, that there was this immediate Impact of the gospel as we read about the the inception or the beginning of the church at Philippi in Acts sixteen, and, and it, it begins with Paul going down to the river uh, to uh, try to see if there was any Jews or any uh, people who believed in God. That there was a prayer meeting down at the river, which was a a, a, a habit of Jews ever since uh, their exile to Babylon. That if they didn't have um, enough people to establish a synagogue or um, a place to worship and gather, they would go down to the river. And so he goes down to the river and he finds Lydia and he, um, he proclaims the gospel to her. She gets saved and then she immediately welcomes Paul and, and Silas and, and, and uh, we believe Luke as well since he wrote Acts and uh, maybe uh, one or two others. But nonetheless, uh, she invites them into her home and and to stay with them to support them. This shows the impact of the gospel at the first preaching. As Paul says, you uh, fellowshiped with me. You supported me. Uh, This impact of the gospel was immediate, but it was also intense as we read further in Acts 16 that that it wasn't much... uh, much later after uh, Lydia had brought them in that uh, there was a persecution of Paul and Silas as we read of the young girl who um, had a spirit of divination or um, she was uh, uh, in a sense a fortune teller and uh, she says that um, these men are proclaiming the salvation of God and Paul casts the spirit out of her and and then there's a mob, and then they get thrown in jail. And, and then we read of an earthquake in Acts 16, and their release this miraculous release. And the Philippian jailer uh, coming to them say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he gets converted. And so the impact of the gospel, it was immediate. It was intense. Uh, that, that imprisonment, that jailing, the, the mob that, that led to their excommunication from the city. Which led to uh, the second um, aspect or, or, um, uh, of their partnership is, is the investment in the gospel. That they invested in the gospel immediately. They, they immediately uh, fellowshipped with Paul, partnered with him in the advancement of the gospel. As he left Philippi, he was probably only in Philippi for a few weeks, maybe a month. And then he goes down the road, so to speak, in Macedonia to Thessalonica and, and preaches the gospel there. And so this investment, their partnership, this investment in the gospel ministry and Paul, it began as soon as uh, Paul preached the gospel to uh, the Philippians and, and continued um, as he left Philippi. We read in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 as... Paul is explaining to the Corinthians, you can turn there, well, there's a couple passages in 2 Corinthians, which I want you to see. The the first one is in 2 Corinthians 8, as Paul is explaining, in a sense, uh, this importance of giving. He will uh, explain um, several um, aspects of Christian living in his letters, and one of which is giving, but most notably, he teaches on giving to the Corinthians because they, they in a sense, uh, didn't get it. They didn't get it for several reasons as they didn't get other things. But he says to them in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, Now brothers, we make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Speaking of primarily Philippi, but also Thessalonica and the church of Berea um, as he talks about the churches in Macedonia. He goes on, he says, that in a great testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the richness of their generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the grace of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. He's talking primarily about uh, the church of Philippi, but he might be also uh, alluding to Thessalonica and Berea. And and as he writes uh, the letter to the Corinthians, this is probably about four or five years after he had first visited Philippi. And there's this sense that he also alludes to in uh, Philippians uh, 4 and um, verse 10, that they... Uh, were giving to him from the start, but then there was a, this time in which they lacked opportunity. It may have been uh, because of persecution. It may be because of an economic downturn um, in trade or famine or the crops. Um, we don't know specifically what it was, but there, there's a sense where there's uh, uh, affliction, there's great testing, there's a lack of opportunity, but they still want to give, and they particularly want to give in, in, in this instance to... Uh, uh, support the, the Jews in uh, Jerusalem and in Israel who are being persecuted as Paul is collecting for them as he will return to Jerusalem. And, and he is uh, speaking to the Corinthians of this desire of the Philippians to give. To give, even in the midst of affliction, even in the midst of maybe they, they're, they're in poverty or they're lacking opportunity is what he would uh, allude to, but they still want to give, and they're urging, in a sense, to share in this ministry to the saints. And it almost is, is in a sense, that, that Paul may, or uh, some of his um, uh, compatriots, his, his comrades, Timothy or Titus, um, or whoever may be saying to the Philippians, In this instance, you you know, we understand, and so if you can't provide, you know, that's fine, but provide what you can, and they're urging. No, we want to provide. We want to share. We want to give. We want to support not only you, but other saints. And then he he further um, confronts the the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11. proclaiming uh, or explaining uh, this concept of giving and supporting uh, ministers, missionaries, uh, uh, pastors. He says to them in, in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 7, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I proclaimed the gospel of God to you without charge. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brothers came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept and will keep myself from being a burden to you. Here in this section of 2 Corinthians, he's speaking about um, his probably his initial time in Corinth. As he comes down the road, he first goes to to Philippi and then um, he's there about a month he goes to Thessalonica he's there about a month and, and persecuted in every city he goes to Berea and then he spends time in Athens and then he makes his way down south to Corinth and he as he's speaking about giving and supporting uh, missionaries and pastors uh, workers of the gospel he's, he's trying to teach the Corinthians about this he he says that that I I was not a burden to anyone. I, I did not try to uh, burden you, but nonetheless, you did not give to me. And, and because you did not give to me or support my ministry, I had to rob other churches to, of their support, where they should just be supporting their local pastor and maybe, in addition to that, other missionaries. But I had to take support from them because you would not support me And they fully supplied my need. The brothers came from Macedonia. This is brothers primarily from Philippi. And so Paul reminds the Philippians of their partnership and the impact of the gospel at the first and the investment in the gospel. They understand that this was an investment. They understand that this investment in the advancement of the kingdom was grounded in their understanding of the stewardship of the gospel, both Paul's and theirs. As one commentator writes um, concerning uh, verse 15 and 16 of Philippians 4, he says this, uh, Paul used three business terms. uh, Concerning, or your uh, translation might have matter, could be translated account. And then giving and receiving refer to expenditures and receipts. He goes on and he says, Paul was a faithful steward of God's resources and kept careful records of what he received and spent. So he knew who who gave him money and, and, and where that money was spent. And also, as he also tells the Corinthians about um, collecting a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. he He kept records uh, either mentally or on paper but nonetheless he he knew and so he's using these accounting terms uh, to explain uh, giving support but more than that he's pointing towards stewardship stewardship of the gospel and stewardship of ministers it says no church fellowship with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone partnered with me He's pointing at this stewardship, stewardship on his end, but also stewardship on their end. As he says to Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, "Let a man consider us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. In that passage, he's primarily speaking about his faithfulness to the Word of God to preach it clearly, faithfully, um, not to preach in such a way as, as many preachers in that day were, um, as in our day, were trying to gain a following, gain support, uh, create a career, a name for themselves. He says we are, we are not like many peddlers of the word of God. We, we, we preach it faithfully, and, and if we have to uh, work to support ourselves, we'll do that. We're, we're, but you also are stewards. He says this also, in, in a sense, to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2, and I'd like you to turn there and see this passage. Because this was the the next church he went down the road to, right after he left uh, Philippi. And he writes to Thessalonians later, and he speaks about when he came to them originally. In 1 Thessalonians 2, in verse 5, he says, For we never came with a flattering word, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor seeking glory from men, either from you or from others, Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. In this way, having fond affection for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become beloved to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. He speaks about supporting themselves in the ministry as they go to, uh, to uh, Thessalonica. Uh, another commentator commenting on Philippians 4 and 15 and 16. He writes that uh, Paul further commended them, the Philippians, by reminding them that they were unique. No other church shared with him in giving and receiving. The relationship was reciprocal. He gave the gospel and received financial support. They received pastoral care and gave for his material needs. Which brings us to the second thing Paul wants to remind the Philippians of, is their faithfulness, verse 16 to 17. We've seen their partnership in verse 15, and now we see their faithfulness in verse uh, 16 and 17 for even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs not that I seek the gift itself but I seek the fruit which increases to your account and their, their faithfulness here is manifested in two acts first in their response to real needs they, they, they saw a need and they met a need they saw a need in Paul from the beginning and they met his need and, and, and they, they, they wanted to continue to meet that need. They immediately understood this need when he was in Philippi. And and even as he went on to Thessalonica, the next place, because he was only in Thessalonica for a few weeks. And he says here in in verse 16 that you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Within a matter of a few weeks, they they sent a gift, uh, Philippians, more than once. And, And what's interesting is that they were still... The Philippians were still recent converts at that time. They had only been believers maybe a month or two. And they immediately understood giving and supporting. And this may be just because of their, their culture, their city, their, their background. Um, it, it may have been uh, initially that they were a little bit more well off. Um, I think it's more uh, just their character. And there is a sense that, you know, we, we believers come into the church from all different backgrounds, personalities. Um, we're a mix. And, and there's some people in the world that they're, they're just raised. Um, they're brought up or they have the personality to be generous. They're just generous people. And, and this is sad sometimes. I, I've seen this in my life and you've probably seen it as well. That there are unbelievers who just happen to be generous people. They, they, they just give they're, they're, they're not religious and and they'll, they'll even say they're not religious they they might even be immoral so I've, I've met many a uh, uh, foul-mouthed uh, immoral marine or soldier who's like hey this guy's hurting we need to we need to help him out and, and that that phrase will be full of expletives and, and, and you better and'll they yell at people like come on <laughs> like you need to help them out here. And, and then I've also met uh, suspicious and stingy believers. And say, you know, the church just wants my money, or, or, or it should be free. Yeah, like, you know, well, the the electric company doesn't give us free electricity. You know, there's all sorts of things. You know, I don't get free gas. Uh, there's all sorts of things. Like, uh, as other preachers and, and, and ministers have said, um, the kingdom of God, it, it in a sense runs on cash. Like we, we need money to do things, like anything else. It uh, doesn't give you an excuse to to uh, be greedy at all. But it's just it's just a, a, a basic principle that that nothing is free. Really, I, I mean, there's grace is free. <laughs> yeah, the salvation is free. But when we do ministry, it, it costs money. It costs. Money for Paul to go, to travel, to um, uh, pay for himself. Even as he's here in house arrest in in, uh, Rome, he has to pay for his own support. It's not like our prison system where you just get... You know, three square meals a day, and you get free education, and all this. And and sometimes, you know, people are actually better off in prison than on the streets, you know. Uh, But he he had to pay for his own way, or else he would starve. Uh, Things cost money, ministry costs money. I'd like you to turn with me to Second uh, Corinthians once again, in, in chapter nine, and and he's trying to Paul here is trying to explain this to the Corinthians this this concept of giving of supporting ministers of supporting uh, missionaries of supporting uh, the church and, and also this this concept of reaping and sowing, of, of sowing and reaping in your giving, that there's a, a deeper spiritual lesson here because giving isn't just a, a, a basic uh, support that, that things cost money and so we need to give, but there's a deeper spiritual reality and it has to do with, with your spiritual health, where you are and the, the, your idea of, of worship and, and who really owns everything that you have. Where, where does everything that you have come from? So Paul tells us to the Corinthians, he says this in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, he says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, uh, not having your arm twisted, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace abound to you, so that in everything, at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the needy, his righteousness stands forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in everything for all generosity, which through us is bringing about thanksgiving to God. And as he's explaining to the Corinthians this concept of uh, sowing and reaping, of giving, of support, of uh, giving as an act of worship. We give as an act of worship. Worship, but also as just uh, this basic principle of things cost money, and we need to support people, and we need to help people, and we need to be generous. But ultimately, everything belongs from God, and it comes from God. And there's this balance that God will provide for us. But if we're 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 stingy, then you know there's this concept, this principle that um, if. If we don't give, how we manage our money, why should God give us more? You know, Why should God give us more money and more things if we just spend it on ourselves? And yes, this, this concept has been twisted by prosperity preachers. And many times in the church, we, we like to swing the pendulum in correcting. We oftentimes overcorrect. And because prosperity preachers will use verses like this and, and other verses saying, like, you know, you're hurt and you need to sow a seed of faith and, 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 and you can send it right here to me. Um, you know, many have, have abused this. But the word of God is still true. There's still these principles. It still talks about giving. Uh, Jesus speaks about money and how we use money and, and where our treasure is there. Our heart will be also And we are to give. We are to give as an aspect of worship. And that giving, if we give with a right heart, with a cheerful heart, with a sincere heart, not under compulsion or out of a sense of duty or obligation or pride or fear, but we give to support the ministry, then God, in a sense, will take those gifts. He'll multiply them, and he will, in a sense, give you more seed. To, to spend on uh, those right things, uh, to uh, multiply your seed, as he says here in 2 Corinthians, and increase the harvest of your righteousness, because that money is being used for the advancement of the gospel, and that, that in a sense, uh, that how you spend that money, that will uh, result in rewards. Which brings us to the second act of their faithfulness, which is manifested in their reception of real rewards. And this is where Paul is kind of trying to communicate this balance here. He says in verse 16, For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And then 17, he kind of flips that and he says, Not that I seek the gift itself, I'm not, I'm not so much concerned about the money and the gift itself, but I seek the fruit which increases to your account. I, I'm concerned about your spiritual health, that you receive real rewards for your uh, labor, for your giving, That their faithfulness is first in response to their real needs, but also in their reception of real rewards that that Paul is looking, he's looking for spiritual fruit. He not only commends them for their faithfulness in giving, but their faithfulness to the principles and commands concerning giving. And ultimately the result of obeying those principles and commands that there's there's spiritual fruit, there's eternal rewards. Now, our giving should not be done out of worry that that oh no uh, you know if if we don't if we don't give this money that that, that paul is going to die and, and there's going to be all these sorts of bad things and paul saying no, that's not the case i will god will support me one way or another whether it comes from you or it comes from somebody else our giving should not be done out of worry fear or obligation that or or pride that the 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 ministry or or the church or this missionary or this mission organization it it all hinges on me no god will provide but you get to partner in that our our, our giving should be done out of sense of worship out of gratitude and out of investment we invest in all sorts of things but we should as jesus say we should invest in the kingdom uh, put our treasure there where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. We we spend money on all sorts of things, and this is you know this is not just in our giving, but you know if you think of uh, things such as things that will contribute to your spiritual health, such as uh, going to a Bible conference or buying a book or. Um, Things that will contribute to your health. I, I remember just <clears throat> living in Southern California, and it's just an area that is so rich with with Bible-believing churches. And there's conferences, but there's also amusement parks. And you could, you know, spend as I've seen uh, someone uh, there's a Bible conference with a, a great preacher, and you could spend. 15 20 30 dollars on going to this conference and maybe even receive a book and a lunch for it but uh some believers saying man i already have you know disneyland scheduled you know and so you know i'll go to disneyland for a saturday and enjoy my time there and and just think nothing of dropping three four hundred dollars on going to disneyland whereas i could have spent uh 15, 20, $30 on a Bible conference that would have fed my soul. And there's all sorts of ways we can spend our money and invest in the kingdom or invest in ourselves. The Philippians, they got this. They understood this. And this is what Paul is ultimately talking to them about their spiritual fruit, their eternal rewards for their investment in his ministry and ultimately the kingdom. John Calvin wrote that if we believe heaven to be our country, it is better for us to transmit our wealth there than to retain it here, where we may lose it by a sudden removal. And that's essentially what what Jesus says in Matthew 6, uh, that Calvin is, is in in different words, talking about uh, investing in heaven, putting our wealth there. As uh, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a couple of principles that that Jesus is speaking about when when he talks about there, about uh, giving and investing in the kingdom, in the advancement of the kingdom. Um, because we don't know what economic downturn might come around the corner or uh, an accident or a health issue or, or whatever it may be. And and too often in church, many pastors have heard this excuse over and over again. I will give when I make a little bit more money or I pay off this car or this house or uh, whatever it may be, whatever excuse it may be. Um, and, and that's. It's not exactly true, because the same is true about your time. I'll, I'll, I'll serve when I have more time. Well, you know, you can always spend your time on several things. There is a sense of truth in that we go through seasons of life, and there are times when we can give more and times when we can give less. But your giving, it really affects your heart. And this is what Paul's trying to get to, trying to encourage the Philippians in, it, that it has an effect on your heart, on your spiritual health. And if you can only give a dollar, give a dollar. And not necessarily, it doesn't have to be here. You should give to first to your local church, but there's many people that they give to other ministries. I give to other missions organizations, other ministries, I've always done that. And any faithful biblical ministry will say, we're thankful for your support, but make sure you're giving to your local church first. And in addition to that, we would welcome your support. And that's a way of investing in the kingdom. And I want to invest more because someday my life is going to end. And I don't know where that money is, the leftover money is going to go. But I want to uh, to accrue, in a, certain, in a sense, heavenly interest um, in the advancement of the kingdom. Because that will uh, pay dividends in eternal rewards. and So Paul uh, reminds the Philippians of their partnership, of their faithfulness. And third, of their sacrifice. Verse 18, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I have been filled, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He reminds them of their sacrifice, their sacrifice first for him, understanding that it was a sacrifice for them so that he would not be lacking in prison. But it wasn't just in, in what they gave, but also in the effort of Epaphroditus. As we read that that Epaphroditus, as the messenger, they, they, they didn't have uh, online giving, obviously, or, or they didn't want to send it by mail, but even if they send it by mail, which essentially they did, um, they had a courier. And so Epaphroditus was the courier, and, and that meant uh, maybe a courier, three weeks, a month or so journey on which he got sick, and, and as Paul would say, sick to the point of death in uh, in chapter 2. And there was this sacrifice not only in what they collected and gave, but in the effort of Epaphroditus. And Paul reminds them that their sacrifice, that, that it was commendable, but also that it was... Um, not only for him, for Paul, but to God, that this sacrifice was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pointing back to those Old Testament sacrifices. And then even in the the, um, New Testament Greco-Roman world and and all the other uh, religions that they would uh, sacrifice a, a drink offering or incense, and it would be, as they would say, a fragrant aroma. The sense that that aroma would rise up to God. And this is an act of worship to God, and it's received by God and considered pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God. Their support, their support, uh, their support uh, of Paul, their, their concern for Paul, they did it with the right motives, they, they did it with the right heart. I, I'm confident that it was accompanied with prayer, which is also uh, a, a lesson for us that, that sometimes uh, many of us give, and we, we give to. Um, To ministries, we give to our local church, but um, sometimes we lack in praying and 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 accompanying that gift with prayer. And and I know oftentimes I'm guilty of this that I give to missions organizations and I forget to pray about them. And and they and if they're biblical as as they are, and I believe they are, and one of them says, uh, "We need your prayers more than your money," and that's right. But I I like what Alistair Begg said in preaching on this passage. He says, the crux of the question is this. As we consider sacrificial giving and and, and giving substantially or giving what we should. He says, uh, the crux of the question is this. Do I believe that God will supply all my needs in Christ Jesus if I give sacrificially? Because there's a sense that, that, that giving, there should be some sort of sacrifice to it. Um, it, it should, in, in a sense, uh, you know, make you question uh, a, a little bit, look at your budget um, a little bit, or, or um, you know, it shouldn't just be, you know, a, a drop in the bucket, so to speak. It shouldn't just be uh, loose change. Um, it should be something uh, that is substantial according to your uh, season of life and, and where you're at, Um And the the crux of the question is, do you really believe that that God will supply all your needs? Do you really believe that all things come from God anyways, and He owns everything, and He's given it to you to begin with? Do you believe that? And if you really believe that, then you can give, in a sense, sacrificially. You can give substantially. You can give with the right heart and the right motives, which is what Paul uh, reminds them of uh, next, his fourth reminder, he's, he's reminded of them of their partnership, of their faithfulness, of their sacrifice. And then fourth, he wants to remind them of their God, whom they were ultimately giving to. Verses 19 to 20, And my God will fulfill all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He, he wants to remind them, as he did before, that their, their sacrifice, their giving, is ultimately done to God. It, it's to God as an act of worship. And that God himself will fulfill all his needs. He wants to remind them that their God is faithful, of his faithfulness to provide for their physical and earthly needs, but also to provide for their spiritual and eternal needs. As he talks about God fulfilling all your needs... According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, he he says all your needs and, and um, as we consider giving, we're 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 primarily focused on our earthly um, physical needs and our bank account and our possessions. But he's really pointing to our spiritual needs, that God will provide for our spiritual and eternal needs, which is greater. He's talking about his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, primarily those spiritual riches, those riches of eternal life. He, he's, he's arguing, in a sense, uh, uh, from the lesser to the greater. That God will fulfill all your needs, all your physical and earthly needs, but uh, he will fulfill all your spiritual needs. And if he's fulfilled all your spiritual and eternal needs, the the greater, the most important, then he'll definitely uh, provide for the lesser. So Paul reminds the Philippians of their God, of his faithfulness, but second, of his glory. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever Amen. That we are to, in a sense, do all things for His glory. That all things work out to glorify God. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Whether you give, whether you serve in your time, talents, and treasures. Whatever you do is to be done to the glory of God. And at the end of life, at the end of the age, God will get the glory for everything. As I was... uh, Studying on this passage, this message, and, and thinking about giving and support. Um, because there's, there's two ends. This isn't just primarily about giving. It's, it's about support as well. And I couldn't help but think about George Mueller. You're familiar with George Mueller, um, minister in uh, <clears throat> the mid-1800s. That he had this perspective on ministry needs and support and giving. And early on in his ministry, he decided that he was going to trust God for everything, and he would never make his needs known, never tell anybody what he needed in the amount. He would just pray, and God would provide, and he kept detailed journals of how God provided, uh, not only for him, but in the establishment of orphanages and supporting those children and, uh, and his, his ministry efforts, his, uh, his Bible and tract society, and, and sending out Bibles and tracts and, and literature. And, and that he never, he never made his needs known. He never gave anybody an amount. And there is oftentimes you can read in his biography about people asking him. And he said, no, I, I won't say or even wanting to give to him. And he even rejecting their gift. Someone uh, saying, well, why, I have something to, you should store up a retirement or a fund for you and your wife and your, 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 uh, your children. And he said, no, God will supply all my needs. I'm not going to tell you how much I need. God will s- supply it. And he's, he's done it to the dollar amount, to the exact amount or pounds because he was in Britain. But nonetheless, he, he, he supplied him with all his needs And and there's times where he even someone would uh, come uh, either in in their pride or or, um, because they were wealthy and say, uh, I will give you X amount, you know, just name the amount or I'll give you X amount. He said, we don't need your money. We don't need it. God supplies my need. And he's talking about all things are done to the glory of God. And there is a sense that that um, this happens sometimes, that there are. Big givers, and more often in smaller churches, because you can see it in a big church, it doesn't really matter all that much. But you have a wealthy person who, who does give, and they feel a sense of pride in their giving. And they might want to um, uh, attach some strings to that gift and, and manipulate because they give. And a wise pastor will say, you know what, we're not going to accept your gift. We don't need it. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. Your money is to be given as an act of worship sincerely for his glory not to manipulate not to gain favor or not to put the church or ministry in fear saying oh no we're going to lose this big giver God has everything he supplies all our needs which brings us to the final thing Paul wants to remind them of the Philippians of he's Remind them of their partnership with him, their faithfulness, their sacrifice, their God, and finally, their support. Their support, verses 21 to 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He wants to remind them of their support, as he does in many of his greetings his salutations as he ends his letters and he usually speaks about the saints in the church and and sometimes we're prone to uh, just gloss over it and, and this one in this letter it's not that long so we might not gloss over it but there's longer ones such as at the end of Romans and he's naming all these people and that's not inconsequential. He, he, he cares for the people that he names, and he cares for the people that he's writing to. And in a sense, he's, he's uh, kind of reminding them of their support, of their support network, of their support in the church, that they are not alone in, in their Christian lives, but that there are believers in many parts of the world, and they are to remember them, to greet them, to pray for them. It is such a one of the blessings I have, and, and I need it. Is um, I, in this day and age, it's, it's even better because we have Zoom and, and there, there's meetings where I get to uh, be on a Zoom call with other pastors and, and other uh, uh, ministers. And we get to uh, encourage one another and discuss what we're going through and, and pray for one another. And it's always a reminder that I'm not alone. There's other faithful ministers all over, God has faithful churches all over. We're not alone. His, his church marches on. His kingdom marches on. Even if, if we're at a downturn or we're failing or, or things look uh, uh, glim and gloomy and, and like you know, the church might close or, or whatever the case may be, there's a church somewhere else that is advancing and growing. His kingdom's always moving forward and we have a support within the church and, and, and also, that within the church, that, that God is continuing to add to his church through his church. As, as Paul just gives this uh, uh, little uh, sidebar note in verse 22 all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Saying that here I'm in a, a house arrest in, in Rome, and I haven't stopped ministering, I haven't stopped evangelizing. In fact, Some people in Caesar's household have come to faith. And he's speaking more of those uh, servants, those administrators, those people that uh, run uh, 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 a kingdom, so to speak, or or that inner circle. Um, There might be some uh, relatives, but it's more the workers that he's speaking about, maybe some soldiers as well, that he's saying... The saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I, I've been able to reach people at the highest echelons of society. That, that through your efforts, th- this is part of the fruit of your efforts. That, that you have a support network in and through the church and that the church is advancing. But more than that, your support is in Christ Jesus. As he says in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your. Spirit, As as all things ultimately flow from God and flow back to God, there is grace in Him to supply their every need. And and a large part of that grace is His presence. As Jesus would say, and and even uh, the the Father would say throughout the whole Old Testament, that, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go, as he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, I am with you. He tells Moses he is with him, uh, Jeremiah, he is with him, and he is with us, he is with us. And as we end this letter, and we we think back, we think of the primary themes of this letter, of fellowship, of partnership, uh, in the church and with um, uh, missionaries and pastors and ministers, and, and, and we think of our partnership, but there's also the second aspect that is closely related to fellowship, which I've uh, explained many times of joy, uh, of having joy in being a part of this partnership, actually being in the church, uh, being called out of the world into his kingdom, into his family, being called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and, and to be called one of his uh, children, that, that, that ought to bring joy, and, and joy ought to accompany all your service, all your giving, and you are called and commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Whatever your circumstances, there there ought to be partnership, joy, and unity. And as we think about this support and partnership, as Paul is is commending the Philippians on, there is this correlation between giving and service, and contentment and joy. That as we give and as we serve, we, in a sense, a uh, begin to uh, loosen our grip on our time and our resources and our money, that we don't hold it so tightly because we understand that that God has has uh, ordained our life and decreed our circumstances and he supplies for our every need and ultimately he supplies for our uh, most important need, our spiritual needs of salvation, of eternal life, of uh, spiritual growth and encouragement within the body of of Christ within his church. And this gets us back to that that initial call of discipleship. As we come to Christ for salvation, for eternal life, we are, in a sense, um, also as we are born again, we are being conformed into his image and we are to... Follow him. We are to emulate him. We are to live as he lived, and, and, and as much as is possible. And we are to uh, uh, follow his example. And he gives this example as in Luke nine. This 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 classic um, uh, verse and, and passage to memorize concerning Christian discipleship. As the the people are are flocking around him and following him, and, and some out of curiosity, uh, some because they they sincerely believe, and he turns to him in Luke 9, 23, and he says, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And then this verse, For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. And the same, uh, in a sense, a similar accounting language which Paul uses in Philippians 4. What does it profit you if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What's more, worth more? Uh, riches and uh, comfortable living and security and an investment portfolio or your soul? And where you will spend eternity? As Jesus would say in another parable, count the cost. Count the cost. Because you know, we're all going to die and we don't know when that day will come. And the writer to Hebrews said it is appointed unto man once to die and after that comes judgment. There is a judgment to come for every human being. And as Jesus even said, he will judge you for every careless word. He will judge you for the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And there's only one way to escape that judgment and that's through Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you're not sure of where you stand with Jesus Christ, I would call you to repent from your sins and to believe upon him for eternal life, to seek him while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near because he is the only way in which we can have a right relationship with God and be accepted into his kingdom and have everlasting life and that's Really, also the message of Christmas as well, that the grace of God has appeared in the babe in a manger to live a life that none of us could live and to go to the cross to die the death that we all deserve to die, that we may, by his wounds, be healed and have salvation. Heavenly Father. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his words. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his rule and reign that one day he will return to rule and reign in righteousness, to wipe away every tear from every eye, to, uh, to destroy his enemies. And Lord, I pray for uh, anyone here that is not um, in him that they would consider their lives, consider their paths and would repent and believe upon him. But also for the believers here. Lord, we're so prone to wander, prone to dwell on our circumstances, on ourselves. We uh, struggle with the remaining sin within our flesh, and, and we are tempted in many ways. Um, sometimes it's it's two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes we stumble and fall. Lord, help us. Remind us of where our true hope is, where our true riches are, that that this life is but a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. And that we would not uh, live or place our hope in the things of this world, but in the things of the next. We thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.